Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. David Vertzberger of SNY is here. Vertz, what's going on, man? Basketball's back. Exciting times. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to tune into the season opener. I've got a couple good matchups, and then uh, my Knicks open on Wednesday. It's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a fun year. Herter got his extension, um, so Atlanta kept up their prioritizing of um, young players, young capable players, to uh, very team-friendly deals and very non-player-friendly deals, where Herter, Ozzy Albies, Acuna, just, uh, I felt weird about it, where I'm like, oh, he, he deserved way more than that, and uh, I, I, I'm not going to say anything yet. 465 it's good i'm happy kevin herter is a an important piece to a number one seed this season in the east um something that your new york knicks cannot relate to will not be able to relate to as the season <laughs> goes along um but you know we're, we're excited uh it's gonna be a good week um what are you more excited about tonight which game are you more uh interested in watching and taking some notes on oh man i'm uh that's tough I didn't expect that one. Uh, Nets Bucks, man. I, I think that has a chance of being a real rivalry. Mm-hmm. In the East. I guess you can say the same about Lakers Warriors, especially with the many clashes LeBron and Curry have had. But, but you know, they're I guess they're more on the the older side compared to to Durant and Giannis. And uh, I don't know. I just think I think that one's a little more up for grabs. I think right now the Lakers are probably the much better team than the Warriors. Uh, but but we'll see. It could be wrong come the end of the year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. the The Warriors are just such a huge wild card, and I'm I'm pretty low on the Lakers um, coming into the year. I'm not a I'm not a Yankees or Yankees. We were talking about these. I'm not a. I guess there are a, a lot of crossovers between Yankees and Lakers fans. The basketball but, equivalent. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just not a Lakers believer um, whatsoever. Uh, I think it was it. I, I I did not like really anything they did this offseason. I'm not a Westbrook believer in how this will work. Um, they can stagger Westbrook and LeBron all they want with AD. Not going to make me a believer. Um, but we'll see. That's why I'm interested to see what it looks like tonight against Golden State. Uh, I think it will be, it'll be fun. I want to see Steph Curry and Jordan pull together. Like I want to see them as a, a backcourt uh, team and see see how that works and see how it works defensively and I don't know see if the Jordan pool stuff is uh is for real because we'll talk about pool in a little bit but um a lot of extensions this is the the headline going into the season opener I think just a bunch of NBA extensions got done uh, like I mentioned Kevin Herter got done but I think the two that's most interesting to me and the second part of this one um leads into an eight in question but. The Grizzlies extended Jaron Jackson. Um, I like Jaron Jackson a lot. I don't know where you stand uh, on him and what he can still be. Um, But I I love that deal. And then you have the Suns, who I want to combine these two because they agreed to a four-year, $43 million extension uh, with Landry Shaman, which I thought was was interesting. Um, And like I said, with Jackson, he got 4105 thought that was a pretty good deal and getting him locked in betting on his upside but you do that you don't offer deandre eight in the max and he reportedly met with the owner robert sarver um all that and then james jones 
what does he do? Not uh, not him either. He gives, um, like I said, uh, the extension to um, Shamit, but he also gave an extension to Mikhail Bridges to a deal like a lot of people are in on Mikhail Bridges. A lot of people think that there is another level that he can get to and that he's not just going to be a 3 and D guy, that he has playmaking in him. I am not one of those people, but I, I'm willing to be to be wrong there. Um, I like Mikael Bridges. I don't love Mikael Bridges, but he gets a four-year, $90 million rookie contract extension. So, with all that being said, what do you make of those two organizations betting on certain young guys, but some guys getting left out like DeAndre Ayton and what that could do for the chemistry, what that could do for the locker room, um, as the Suns try and get back into the the NBA Finals, and then with the the Grizzlies, like they're taking a huge gamble on Jackson staying healthy and being one of the core pieces uh, with John Morant that can get them back into the pro- like at least in the top four, top five ish uh, contention window in the West for years to come. Yeah, uh, it, it's funny because on the outline you mentioned uh, Jackson and Mikhail's extensions and, and right next to Mikhail on my notes I just put Aiton in all mm. caps because we, we just have to discuss him but but I guess we'll start with uh, with the Grizzlies and Jackson you know I, I really like him I, I think as a modern big he's got everything you want and fully realized it's just a, a crazy package you can put together and score inside and out uh, defend really well I don't know how he makes all these threes when you look at his form it's the most ridiculous thing anyone's ever seen but it, it goes in so you can't beat it and, and I think when you sort of compare him to a lot of the other young guys Memphis has, and they're they're deep with a lot of young guys that are going to have to eventually extend. I think we talked about this on one of our previous pods together. But, you know, it gets expensive when you start our right, extension one, extension two, extension three. Luckily, your Hawks are doing it cheaply, but, mm-hmm. you know, someone of Jackson's caliber isn't going to be so cheap. So I, I like that they chose him above, you know, some of these other guys. I think he has the most all-star potential. Um, I think it's... He, he can end up being, you know, an all-defense type of guy, as well as someone that can still score in a multitude of ways, play both big positions. Uh, and you know, he's had, he's had a couple of years now, albeit injury plagued with uh, with Morant. So you sort of want to build on the chemistry those two are are forming together. The more interesting question, obviously, we're going to Phoenix. The Shamit one uh, is puzzling, but it's not overly expensive. So okay, um, the Mikael Bridges one was interesting. Because you're sort of betting that he becomes more mm-hmm. than a three and D guy. Because if you're paying, you know, what was it twenty two million for for a, for a three and D guy, it seems a bit aggressive. And I like Mikael Bridges. I think uh, defensively, I think he needs to get just a little bigger. I think he got pushed around a little bit in the playoffs. Uh, the three point shooting is good. I believe in some of his mid range stuff, some of his floater stuff. You know, his playmaking. You see, you see signs of it. Uh, it's a big bet to say the least. I think that's just how I would frame it, you know? Whether they're right or wrong, I think it's kind of hard to just to throw it out there now. You know, we're not seeing what's going on in practice. We haven't seen what kind of improvements he's made this past off season. but um, he was a big contributor to a to a contending team, you know, a couple wins away from the finals, from the championship. So, it, it's definitely a bet. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. The Aiden question is, is man, it's so puzzling. It, I guess the, the the real situation with the Aiden thing is if you're not offering him the max, 20 other teams are doing it, right? I, I 
this is tough because it depends on what you think of Aiton because we saw two different players thus far in his NBA career, right? Like we saw the first year where it was empty calories, the Carlos Boozer special. Um, he didn't like contact. He wasn't the kind of rim protector you want. He was not getting fouled, um, not rebounding an elite level. He loved those elbow jumpers, those elbow mid-range jumpers. Like that was, that was his thing. Um, and it wasn't just conducive to winning in Phoenix. And then last year, he transitions into a fantastic rim protector, a rim running guy, great chemistry with Chris Paul in this group, um, doesn't take anything besides shots at the rim and lobs, and it's more effective, it's more efficient. I I don't give the max to Clint Capella. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But if you think right. he has another level and you can add with what he's learned now that's winning basketball but also give him other responsibilities and give him post-ups where it's just not uh not a net negative in your half-court offense then i understand giving him the max i understand that that line of thinking but there might be some conversations internally of just like what if ayton is not that guy what if ayton cannot be a Joel and and it's like well that's a high high price to pay but it's like well, no, that's why you draft him number one is like you pay him the max. If you believe that he can be an Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, Joel Embiid, one of the premier centers um, in this league, then yeah, you give him the max. But if he's not that kind of offensive guy who can shoulder the load and ISO on his own and you can just throw the ball inside and he can draw fouls and this, that, and the other, um, while also being an elite rim protector, I, I just, I don't know. I think... This tells me that they are not sure about that. This tells me that Phoenix is not certain that he is not, um, he's just not that guy. Like, is he going to shoot threes? Is he going to do the other stuff? Like, I, I don't know. I think this tells me that they're, they're dubious about that development. And I wouldn't blame them based on what we've seen, but he's still a valuable player. I just don't think he's a, we haven't seen enough that he's a max valuable guy, but you see around the league and you see Mikhail get paid, but I'm like, I know what Mikhail is. Like, I know that his value, um, and if you bet right on him, is more important than betting right on Aiton. But I don't know. I don't know what this does to the chemistry. I don't know how this changes the locker room. This is a bold move for a team that just went to the NBA Finals. Yeah. Assuming Aiton's defense is on just a sort of steady upwards trajectory, which I think is fair to assume. Mm-hmm. He was really solid during the regular season, really solid during the playoffs. It was just, you know, he couldn't handle Giannis, which is just, okay, like, sorry, he can't handle Giannis. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think what's left with him is that sort of one-on-one offense stuff you're talking about. Not even one-on-one, just sort of multidimensional. Can the jump shot be consistent? You know, can he get fouled a bunch? Catch him sort of, yeah. Yeah, can he can he sort of finish from different spots? Can he can he get a better post up game? I think that's sort of important. Are you going to have switches on him? Can he do a, a nice power dribble into into you know a drop hook? Can can he do those things? I think that's going to decide it. I, it's curious in the light of the Mikael Bridges extension because like I, I saw that and, and I'm thinking if you're throwing that at Bridges, you, you have to throw the max at Peyton, right? Uh, it, you're making a big bet on Bridges. You make a big bet on Payne, unless you uh, on Aiden, unless you're just you're not a believer. Which uh, I don't know. I mean, what, how does this play out now, right? So let's assume it doesn't hurt the chemistry too much. Let, let's assume you know he's a professional. He, he'll ball out. Phoenix will be really good. He'll he'll look better this year compared to last. Let's assume these things, which is not super outlandish, right? We get to the summer. He's a restricted free agent. I think maybe is it next summer or the summer? Uh, next summer. 
next summer. Okay. So let's say, you know, he's a restricted free agent next summer. I mean, will they match it then? Do they want to give themselves this sort of two-year pocket to sort of see how he develops? Are they just going to let him go then? Are they going to trade him next year? I'm curious what this looks like a year from now. He wanted... Uh, by this is the the report from Bleacher Report is that he wanted a Trey Young max contract. Okay, um, my man, you're you're not getting the Trey Young contract. What? 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 Like if that's he what he wanted, if that's the kind of money he did want, two and three. I just you're not Luca and you're not Trey. Like you're not not even in the same ballpark like it, it's literally not a conversation it's not a conversation sure. so if that's the case and he was not willing to uh to to buck about that whole thing then you know i i get the sun's perspective and i get james jones being like mm, i i just you're not that guy like but it also will learn a lot about what Aiton is as a player and as a competitor right if he uses this as fuel to show that look I can do this and I can, I have another level and that I can add to my offensive game while also being a defensive anchor on a title team, then show it, like do it and do that other stuff. Do the face up stuff, do things off the dribble, shoot corner threes. Like you've got to do that. And if you're not, no one's going to give you the max because you can find these kind of centers everywhere. If this is all he is, you can find these guys. There's a lot of rim running centers who, who fit this mold. Um, you can draft these guys and mold them into that. Um, I would even say that Jaron Jackson has shown more as, with his upside than DeAndre Ayton at this point. Like, you're not worth more than Jaron Jackson. If I had to bet on who is the better player five years from now, I would bet on Jackson. But, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I think Ayton has a higher ceiling, but I think I, Jackson is more likely to reach his ceiling to based on what we've seen thus far. So, I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth on this, but I do understand the Suns doing this. But it's also like, to your point, there's no point in not. Like, you're already locked in with Chris Paul. You're locked in in Booker. You're locked in on Bridges. I mean, you're not drafting anyone else that's just you have to prioritize paying. Like, you're in win-now mode. You might as well just give him, like, give him the money <laughs> just because you're just like, what you, there's no alternative. It's kind of like if you're the Jazz and you this offseason where – you were wondering, you're like, ah, do we really want to give Conley with his injury history and where he's at and his, his development? Do we want to do we want to throw him the money? It's like, well, yeah, you have to. You don't have any other choice. Like, there's no one you can sign that will bring you what Conley does. So even though you're overpaying and you're having to give him more years and stuff like that, and you're nervous about it, you just do it because you're the Jazz and you might be the number one seed in the West. There are like there are times to do this kind of thing, and. I don't know. I think Aiton at the very least has shown he is a winning player and he is someone who can start and be with this core. But I mean, once you have that con- the Chris Paul contract in the books, I agree with you where it's like, you might as well just ride this out and see what happens because I, I, I don't know how that's going to age. I don't know what that contract's going to look like. Even after this year, you might as well just, just do it. But then you're like, well, he's not worth trade money. So if that's what he was, his demands were, that's like how, all he would accept then like all right, i don't know what to tell you man you're you're not trey young you're not you're not leading uh the suns by yourself with uh without devin booker and uh chris paul just being maybe the best backcourt in the nba like you, you're just not so i don't know i go back and forth on it i i do wonder how much of it because you mentioned james jones i wonder how much of it is james jones versus robert sarver hmm. i've seen some some of that on twitter 
you know, it's all conjecture. I was going to say, like, we have no idea. Why do we do that? Like, it's just, oh, I don't know. It's This seems like more of a Sarver thing. It's like, we have no idea. James Jones might not be a believer. You don't know. It could be the opposite, where Sarver's like, why aren't we doing this? And James is like, I don't know. It does seem kind of like a Sarver thing, but mm. that's fine. But at the same time, he did pay. Like, he took on the, and I'm not trying to carry robert sarver's water here but what i am saying is that i mean he did pay booker he did bring in the chris paul contract yep. he did just pay bridges so my gut tells me that he is not he's not opposed i i don't know i i think this is far more complicated but robert sarver sure. from Woj said like Woj said that sarver didn't offer it but we don't know if jones went to sarver and was like, yeah, it, we can't do this. This would be a bad idea. Like, we don't know anything. Like you said, it's just it's just conjecture at this point. But I don't know. I would not personally max out DeAndre Aiden based on what I know after two seasons. It's too early. Like, with Trey and Luca, we know. We know what they are. I don't know what DeAndre Aiden is. Um, Nikas Duncan had this today basketball news great nba writer so go read him and check out the dunker spot if you've not already but he made he, like his early season predictions like before by the end of the season what the top three in each position would be and he had trey as the number two point guard passing damian lillard now and he has luca as the i think second best uh shooting forward behind lebron just the way he did his rankings um that's a different stratosphere in DeAndre Aiden. Yeah. He's nowhere near Jokic. He's nowhere near Embiid. He's nowhere near Anthony Davis. Like, Towns. Like, it's just, he's nowhere near these people. So, it's just like, to expect that kind of same money with Trey and Luca, who might be second team, first team All-NBA, like, it's just, it's not reality. Like, someone needs to sit him down and be like, no, you're, you're Clint Capella right now. If you'd like to prove otherwise, we'd be happy to, because that means we're contending for the next couple of years. But like, show it like expand your offensive game we like it show us give us a reason to feature you a lot more in offensive half court sets like that's what we have to see that's fair i don't know we'll see i'm excited i i am excited to see what this means for for the suns um some other extensions do you like the herder extension for atlanta this is you mentioned that we're getting discounts and stuff like that but this is a pricey team this is a pricey, pricey team yeah. with Bogey and Gallo and Capella and now Trey at the max, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish might be getting paid soon. You just, you have a lot of dudes on this roster now and somebody, people need to be aware of this is like, there's going to, like, we're getting near, like, we're getting so close to the point where the Hawks are going to have to make some very, very difficult decisions. And we're going to learn a lot about what Travis Schlink sees with this core and how much he values his core versus using these, these collection of assets to flip for a Bradley Beal or somebody like that, or a Carl Anthony towns or whoever, because um, I don't know, like the Hawks, if they keep it all together, they could be the one C with this depth. Cause I think you can make the case that the Hawks have the most depth of any NBA team this season. Like they're just, there are so many dudes. There are just so many dudes on this roster where you're like, I, I just, Gorgie Jang, Solomon Hill, and Yaka and Kongu when he comes back. Kongu's going to be great. Like, he might be a star. Uh, that guy is going to be a player. Shreve Cooper looks like he's going to contribute right away. Jalen Johnson flashed in Summer League. He looks like a future contributor. You have brought John Collins back. Dellen Wright's here. Lou Williams is back. DeAndre Hunter, if he can stay healthy, like, you still have Gallo. You still have Compella. Like, Herter is a dude. Like, there's just people all over the place. And Cam, it's such an important year for Cam Reddish, and he's popping up. And 
offseason trade stuff, but I am so curious to see what that looks like with the starters, him getting time with the starters. Um, Because I think they're going to have to pick between Hunter and Reddish at some point this season. I think that's the first thing they have to, the first tough call that they're, uh, that Schlenk and this ownership group is going to have to make. Um, But personally, I I hope it's Cam because he has the higher upside and doesn't have the same health questions that, and he's younger, a lot younger than uh, DeAndre Hunter. And I, the Hunter's knee stuff scares me. It just, it really, really scares me. And Reddish being two years younger, I think that matters. And I think his ceiling's higher. What, what do you make of their depth and the Herder signing and where they're, where they're at cap wise and rotation wise heading into this year? Man, I was ready to make such a positive Hawks point and you beat me to it. Mm. I, I did a, I did an article recently actually uh, on the Knicks depth compared to other teams in the league. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, who has the best benches in the league and Atlanta's prob- probably number one, probably number one between Gallo, Lou Will, Kevin Herter. I mean, you also said it, it. The good thing about these extensions is, especially that you're getting them a nice, nicely priced deal. You can eventually move these guys in a package deal, like you said, for a Beal, for a star. You know, Zion. Who knows? You know, my my mm. the guy like Trey Young. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like it as much as I hate to say. It, much as it pains me, I like this Hawks team. I, I think <laughs> they're just super deep too on the on the wings. Like you can just run like you're. Like your sixth or seventh wing, you still have like Solomon Hill. You can like yeah. and defend someone. You know, he can he can he can make one of his three threes out there. You know, he, I think you also um, Timothy Luawu Cabrero yeah. is he on the roster? Do uh, your like eighth wing or something like that? Like, uh, this is a really nice depth to have. Yeah, um, obviously Herder's Herder's really talented. I see him popping up on some uh, sixth man of the year predictions. Uh, that'd be that'd be a pretty cool thing to have. I don't know how he's going to beat out Derrick Rose. Uh, maybe Kemba gets hurt, but that that's another story. Um, yeah, I, I like what the Hawks are doing. I mean, I, I think you want to run back this core for another year, sort of get a full year with with the the proper head coach and and see what you can do. I like how you've won up to my crazy Knicks three seed hot take with an even hotter one seed for the Hawks. Um, mm-hmm. That that's that's aggressive. Uh, so long as Brooklyn and Milwaukee exist, but you know I, I love I love the attitude. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing really to complain about. I think if you're if you're an Atlanta fan, obviously there's there's some roster decisions you have to make, but just the way they're going about it, it can be pretty easily deciphered. I think you already sort of know Herder's the best of that sort of young wing bunch. Mm. Uh, Hunter, the, the health questions, but you can also rely on Hunter a little more defensively than Reddish, I would think. No, uh, so I think no. Cam yeah. Reddish might be the, like, Cam Reddish is a, just, <laughs> he is, his defensive upside and what he's already flashed this uh, this preseason, and even in that Buck series, like, Reddish is, he, he can defend all five positions. I don't think Hunter has that same upside. Hunter is a good defender, but I think Reddish, um, I would say Reddish is a better on-ball point-of-attack defender. Interesting. That's his best calling card, is Reddish can do... Like, he can defend one one through five effectively. Hunter can defend any wing and probably some guards, but um, Reddish is at a point where he can he can do it all. No, so... You got a lot of options. We do have a lot of options. I just want Cam to pop. That's what I want. I need cam to pop i need my paul george that's what i need i need cam to be that guy i need him to get the opportunity with the ones um which it looks like he's gonna do 
um, out of the gate. That's what I want to see. I want to see Cam play only with good basketball players in the rotation. Like, I want to see him have to play with Bogey, Trey, um, Collins, and Capella. That's what I want to see. How does Even he the fit? bench unit's good NBA players, so that's, that works out for him as well. That does, because that didn't used to be the case either. That did not used to be the case. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. Um, between RJ, Randall... No, I'm not even going to throw Randall in there. Let's say RJ, Obi, and Quickly. Who of those three has the best season in New York? Probably RJ. Interesting. Okay. There. I mean, yeah, Obi's, <laughs> Obi's still... Yeah, Where are Knicks fans Obi at with Obi? We're, we're a little more optimistic after summer league and after preseason, especially after that, that playoff series against you guys. He, that was like the best basketball he played all year. Um, he, he, he brings something to this Knicks team that they need, just a little more dynamic athleticism, a little more vertical, uh, vertical spacing, a little more running. You know, he gets out there in the open floor. So, so that's nice. Uh, he's just nice to have a back uh, the backup four to Randall. Um, I think we're just hoping that you know last season it was sort of whenever Randall went to the bench it was just cringe and like oh god how do we survive these minutes? Um, but now Tobin actually looks like maybe a reliable bench piece at the four. Maybe okay, maybe Randall doesn't have to play 36 minutes. Maybe he can play like 32 a game. Like that would be nice. Um, and I think I think we can expect that. He looked a lot better in preseason, so we'll see. Especially defensively, I thought he made some nice plays. Quickly looking a lot more like a point guard, which is cool. Like a lot of this playmaking stuff he's done in preseason in Vegas. I just didn't see it last year. And, uh, you know, less reliant on the floater, has more of the mid-range pull-up stuff. Uh, he, he, he's also coming along. But I just think neither of them sort of stack up to RJ and sort of what he can be. Talk about just a, a starting multifaceted wing. He's going to be the lead perimeter defender for the Knicks this year. Maybe, you know, fans of other teams might – hear that and be like i don't know about that but he's flashed a lot on that end and he's had some good moments last year against guys like you know jimmy butler and Kawhi. he's got a lot of size and strength for uh, maybe more strength than size for 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 his position um so it'll be fun to see that he did well chasing around beal in a couple of games this preseason and the three-point shot looks legit you know he's made half of them this preseason carrying it over from last year uh obviously some of the more creative ball handling pick and roll creation stuff all that we need to see a little more of that from him but if he's going to come in and lock guys up uh hit his threes i think it's a fun guy to have and i think he's going to do those things this year okay what's the opening lineup for the next tomorrow walker fournier barrett randall uh center position so noel's been out all preseason resting mm-hmm. or knee or something uh, Mitch Robinson just came back the last preseason game, so I, I don't know if they'll keep him off the bench to sort of work him in. But maybe Taj Gibson. I, I mean, the old man Taj, he's going to be 48 years old in this mm-hmm. league as a backup center, getting minutes because someone's hurt, and still just popping his mi- little mid-range shots. He's got a three-point shot in his arsenal now, um, and, and just, just being in the right position defensively and just being so big and annoying that, that it won't be that easy to score on him. Well, I think it just depends on how long Tom Thibodeau coaches in the league. He can play, man. Tom Gibson can still play. He's not bad. He's a he's like one of those just plus minus guys that you're just always going to look at, and you're like, he's plus three today, and I don't understand why. Um, he was yeah. also a pain in the ass in the Hawks series. Like, did not enjoy Taj Gibson. I, I enjoyed like what was your favorite Julius Randle 
shot from that series. That's that's that, let's go back to talking about Todd. Uh, <laughs> the one the one thing about him and this Nick center rotation mm-hmm. is between Mitch and Noel, mm-hmm. these are two guys offensively that are dive and dunk guys, lob guys, right? They're not really going to do much. Uh, right. they, they can't really play make out of the short roll super well, right? Uh, but Todd Gibson, offensively, he has the range. He, he passes really well out of the short roll. So uh, there, there's an argument to be made. Maybe he should be the backup center. You start one of Mitch or Noel, but Taj gets some serious minutes at center just because he brings a different look. We might see some Obi at center this year. The Knicks closed their last preseason game with a Randall Obi front court. How did that go? Uh, did well defensively. It went well. They they came back against you know the Wizards second stringers, but um, you know we'll see how how it fares in the regular season. But it, it looked a lot more sustainable defensively than last season. Uh, most because of the improvements Toppin's made. Mm. Can I give you some breaking news on this podcast? Is it the Ben Simmons news? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I was hoping we would talk about this. Excellent content. Um, just, I, oh no. So this comes from friend of the pod, Kyle Newbeck. He said, um, Embiid says he has not talked with Simmons since he returned. Quote, at the end of the day, our job is not to babysit somebody incredible incredible this is why neither of us have philly out of our teams in our in our projected standings in the east like this situation I, there's no way this is going to end smoothly and i don't understand how you don't just i understand daryl moore is daryl moore just trade the guy get your couple picks get Collins. that just trade the guy it's unbelievable how bad this he, has gotten but what stinks though too and this is this is something that I don't know how you legislate out of it, where it's like Jimmy was doing similar stuff in Minnesota to your guy Tibbs and what was going on there. And then he gets to Miami and it's a totally different player and he takes him to the NBA finals. And it's like he's he's worth it. He's worth the headache and he can turn it off and on whenever he wants. Like Jimmy, if he's not happy, he's like, I'm I'm going scorched earth here. But if I'm happy, everything everything's great. I'm making coffee. I'm doing the coffee buddy stuff with Goran Dragic. I think Simmons is going to do the same kind of thing. It's like, this is just horrible. Like Harden did it in Houston to get out of there. And then he's just like the, the great teammate in Brooklyn and he's fine. He's all locked in. And I just, I think guys know that there's no repercussions really that like guys around the league probably don't even really care about this as they, you just move on. And once you get your way, then it's like, all right, camaraderie teamwork love it i'm gonna do everything um i think that's what's gonna happen here and that's what stinks is like i don't know how cynical of a perspective this is to have but like that is something i just think about with him is that he's like this is all awful and this is all pretty pretty crappy especially to this organization and his teammates but like he overplayed his hand so bad the sixers overplayed their hand there's blame on both sides but like Man, this yeah. is this is ugly, ugly. Are you seeing some of these other quotes that are coming? Should I just read them off? I have my little yeah. Just read them off. Breakers columns. Yeah. Okay, Doc Rivers. I thought he was a distraction today. I didn't think he wanted to do what everyone else was doing. Wolf says <laughs> he was tossed early in practice, essentially for a refusal to participate in the next stage of the session. Oh what? man, this is uh fantastic this is just an <laughs> nba drama man nba is like the best reality show sports league it's just fantastic the He's sixers are getting nothing for, for him too. i'm sure you saw that wait say it again 
He's also suspended for for a game. Yeah, you saw that. I think he's played his last game as a Sixer. There's no way they're putting him on the court. How? This is too bad. This is this is nuts. Like they're phasing him out. Can we see a phase out situation where they just don't pass him the ball and they just don't involve him in any action or anything with the like just hey, well I mean I guess that wouldn't be any and different than him just sitting in the dunker spot anyway. Yeah. I was gonna say their offensive rating increases by ten points per hundred possessions or <laughs> What are they gonna get for him? Like I love the Daryl Morey perspective of just being like no, he'll come back. He'll force him back. The money stuff, that's all real. And then he'll play really well, be a all-NBA defender, and then we'll get we'll wait for Beal or Lillard for him. You're getting nothing for him now. Like it's th- th- you're getting nothing. And I agree like before last season like that would have been a fair trade and I also would love to see Simmons in Portland and just running it, like a team with no high expectations and just have fun there. Like I would love to see him over there. And I would also love to see Damon Embiid, that would be incredible. I would love to see Damon and B play together. I would love to see Damian Lillard on a real contender. All that being said, that's not happening, and I don't even know. Like the package that they ultimately get for Ben Simmons is just going to be catastrophic for their title window because you've only got a couple years with Embiid. There's no one else unless Tyrese Maxey uh, becomes <laughs> just a superstar in the next year or two. I don't, uh, I don't see how they salvage this. This ends really badly for Philly. Uh, unfortunately sorry philly fans you're great but this is uh this is not gonna end well yeah i wonder what the package would have been you know immediately post trade request versus now how much that that differs um like they're gonna be lucky to get buddy healed back a couple (laughs) you know what buddy healed barnes uh, one of the king's young guy i don't know they probably can't pry halliburton away so no yeah, it's it's honestly you might just want to take Heald's Barnes and, and, and try to pry some picks out of them and, and call it a day. That's what I think's gonna happen. I would do that too for him. I would I'm in spite mode at this point. You're going to Sacramento. Like you're going to Sacramento, no yeah, questions right. asked. You're out of here. Like we're sending you to I, Sacramento. I get back at this guy, send him to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's a worse spot for him, right? Like to just go and twiddle away in obscurity. Um I don't know. There's nowhere else that really jumps out to me. Um, I guess maybe the Raptors could be a sneaky team that get in on this. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, if I you think, want to I think f- that works, mm-hmm. I, I think the Raptors might, might actually be a nice, a nice fit for him. Uh, I hope he doesn't end up in OKC just cause OKC is just a, just a fun young group. Wait, uh, let me stop you right there. They're not a fun young group. Simmons. There's no fun. There's no fun happening in Oklahoma city. Let's go ahead and there's nip that in the bud. Fun. There's no there's fun. A lot of fun. No, who outside of SGA who's fun. Lou Dort. Not fun. I'm going to mention later in this pod. Not fun. Extremely fun. How is he fun? Uh, you're going to have to tune into some OKC League Pass games. No, look, I like him. I like him as a player. He's good. He's a he does his he fulfills his role extremely well. Darius Basley, not fun. Do you know who else is not fun? Derek I, Favors, Mike Muscala, Ty Jerome, Isaiah Roby. Ty Jerome is the next Joe Harris. Oh God. Trey Mann could be fun. He was a great college player. Josh Giddy isn't fun. Yep. No, Josh, Josh Giddy is not Josh fun. Josh Giddy isn't fun. Are you a big Poku, Poku like guy? Pokushevsky? Oh, my God. I mean, it's fun. Oh He's fun. God. You can't not have fun watching Poku on the floor. It's like, <laughs> what is going on here? It's like a 2K creative player mm-hmm. by, by someone on LSD. And then <laughs> it's, it's the best thing. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm very anti 
Oklahoma City Thunder. Anti what they're doing, anti this experiment, anti just everything about them. It's it's just not a anti-fun. real organization. Can't Maybe do more it. fired up defending the Thunder than the Knicks this podcast. <laughs> you really are. Is it the color scheme? You're just like blue and orange. You just when someone goes after a blue and orange team, you just <laughs> you just see red. Everyone but the Mets, yeah. Everyone but the Mets. Uh, but you you were a noted Mets attender. You you attended people don't know this, but you on your Instagram, you were you were all about the Mets early in the season when they were in first in the NL East and you were you were taking shots of just being around City Field and just the vibe, the happiness in Queens, and then as it, the next fell, you went back to your Yankees. It was it was a lot of there's a lot of suspect stuff on, on your feed. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm for the city field is is I'm sorry a superior uh, baseball watching experience as someone who likes to eat food and, and drink beer and just enjoy mm-hmm. walking around a stadium mm-hmm. and the tickets are much cheaper and it's much closer to where I live. Nothing mm-hmm. to do with the baseball on field. You know the games mattered. I got to go back to my Yankees and, and okay. get disappointed. But you know. we got Aaron Boone back, so that's good. Is it? No, probably not. Also, I just, I don't know. Managers, like, it's a weird thing to get mad about a manager, I think, in baseball. I just, I'm not sure how much they st- they really matter. Like, I really don't know how much mat- managers really matter um, for a team, wins and losses wise. I don't, I don't know. But then you look at Alex Cora and the Red Sox flip, so I don't know. Could be wrong. It could be wrong. Um, make the case. Make the case for, it's, for the New York Knicks being a top three seed in the East this year. Make the case, because I have them right now at nine. They're in the play-in for me. I have them as oh, a nine seed. my gosh. So I, I wrote a 1,300. Uh, Did that really hurt you? Word, like that that I, felt like I just stabbed I you with my words. Ninth. Ninth is rough, man. Ninth, ninth is rough. You're around yeah, where the Bulls Indian are. And then Charlotte ahead of us? No. So the Bull, you're like right in the Bulls territory for me. So I have ahead of you, just for the interest, and I'm sorry, Knicks fans, in the interest of full disclosure, this is what I'm saying. I think the East is deep. This is a deeper East than we've seen in a long time. I think you have the Hawks penciled in ahead of them, the Celtics, the, uh, I have the Pacers, unfortunately, sorry to say, the Heat, the Bucks, the Nets. But here's the caveat. I might move them up because... The Sixers are just. I what do you what do I do with the Sixers? Like I have them above you guys, but like I don't like that could go that can go haywire rather quickly. Um, you're in that zone yeah. with Chicago, like Chicago, Charlotte, and you guys are like in the same and the Pacers are in the same kind of zone for me. People are talking themselves into the Cavs, but um, I'll believe when I see it. And I'm yeah, pretty I'm dubious bad. of the Raptors' offense. Like I still think they're not going to be able to score enough. Um. I, I'm concerned about the raps, so we'll we'll see. Um, but I don't know. I don't think I'm being so, overly harsh putting you in that group. So I'll, I'll boil I'll mm-hmm. boil my manifesto down a little okay. bit because I, I just went I, I went deep deep on this topic. Mm-hmm. And why this it is an optimistic case, like more so than the realistic case. But here's my thinking: so we relatively know what this team is. It's a Thibs team. It's going to defend the heck out of the ball. Randall's really good. I, I think he's still an all-NBA talent. Like, sorry, a 27-year-old coming off a breakout season in any other situation, you think, oh, he's going to be about the same or, like, a little better. Like, he's going to get better. He's entering his prime. R.J. Barrett coming off a breakout season, 21 years old, entering his third season. Any other situation, yeah, he's going to get better. He's probably take another leap. He's, he's a really good player, really good work ethic, yada, yada. 
And, you know, the Knicks over the offseason sacrificed a little defense, you know, getting rid of Bullock and Payton and brought in Walker and Fournier, two guys that can do a lot offensively that the Knicks just couldn't do last season. It was a lot of, you know, Randall mid-range, you know, do what you can, create for all of us. But now they've got so many weapons, a lot of their actions are just going to be a lot more spaced out. There's going to be a lot more random cuts, a lot of smarter players, and just, just more offensive flexibility. So I think the defense won't fall off to, to below. Like a top, They'll still be a top-10 defense. I think the offense has the potential to be you know top-15 in the league, maybe even higher, depending on how Kemba and Fournier look. I think you mentioned the Hawks' depth. I think the Knicks have probably a top-five bench in the league. You know, Between Burks is a starting-caliber player, Rose is a starting-caliber player, quickly top and are, are really good. Noel is starting-caliber. Um, but those things, you know, avoiding injury during the regular season is big. You know, I think a Thibs team in the regular season, just playing that Thibs level defense and 110% effort on those Tuesday nights, um, the fifth game of a, you know, six game trip, this eight day, you know, eight day trip, whatever. Mm. Uh, I think, I think that wins them some games. So fundamentally, they were a 41 and 31 team last year, the third seed. I think they got better, and I'm just not impressed by the rest of the East. The Hawks are the one team I did not have a good answer for. I was like, yeah, the Hawks are probably the third seed. Like, I, they're really good. Uh, I, I didn't have much to say about them. I want to see how their defense holds up over a whole regular season because that playoff defense was just at a different level than what they were in the regular season. Um, but the rest of the competition, like, I'm not worried about the Bulls. I'm not worried about the Pacers. I'm not worried about – the Heat are – disgusting playoff team but i think in the regular season that it's going to be a sort of miami regular season where they sneak in and do their damage once the postseason starts just because they're a little older a little you know not not so deep in the roster department beyond like you know sixth or seventh man mm-hmm. and i think injuries usually play a role with them as well uh yeah i'm just not interested uh, not super uh, scared by these other east teams I, I guess they got deeper so you know more of the running over the east isn't that easy. But I don't know. Uh, I, I I see this scenario. I see the path for the Knicks to, to be the three seed. Okay. I have some more uh, Ben Simmons and beat stuff for you. You ready? Oh, oh let's go. Quote, That's at this point, this. it's amazing. At this point, I don't care about that man. Honestly, he does whatever he wants. Joel and beat on, on Ben Simmons. Um, would you like to know what happened that forced Doc Rivers to kick Ben Simmons out of practice today? More than anything in the world. This coming from Shams. Sources. Doc Rivers asked Ben Simmons to join a defensive drill today. Simmons refused. Rivers asked again. Simmons said no again. Rivers then told Simmons he should go home, and Simmons dropped the ball and left. This is like some some junior college level stuff going on. This is like (laughs) ridiculous, man. Oh, my goodness. Trade them. It's just like it's the same thing with the Aiden extension. Like I just feel like these teams just just are giving themselves too much to straight. Just, just do the easy thing. Just 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 go. I mean, the, the NBA is off to an amazing start. This is just a uh, uh, just tremendous content. Just tremendous I want, content. I want, I want to give this person the credit. I, I got to scroll down and find it. But someone said, uh, "I can't wait for the first Embiid Simmons matchup when Simmons on another team." I, oof, oof. Um, I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Do you 
this thing keeps popping up. I saw this from Silver. Do you do you like the midseason tournament, like the European style midseason tournament? Because I don't think you're like. I remember the cash prize and people looked at the bubble and like, oh, we can do something mini tournament like that. It's like I don't think you're ever going to get buy in like that. I don't think you're ever going to get players to risk it, no matter how much money you're throwing out there to go super hard in the middle of a season. And I don't know why teams would want their guys out there going for it when they have title aspirations. I don't I don't understand why this keeps popping up. I understand like trying to increase interest during that lull in that time of the, uh, the NBA calendar. But for me, I'm just I don't understand it. Why any player or really any executive would want this. What about you? Is that the idea to sort of help with that lull? Because I'm assuming it would be like around all-star weekend and i i think people mostly just turn off the nba around like march april when the seating's mostly done and you know you got a lot of a lot of load management mm. going on yeah i i don't see i i don't yeah i don't see the vision I, I mean if it's just for a cash pool and just to drum up you know maybe if they want to do some sort of all-star event instead of the current all-star weekend format but i don't think anyone's even asking for that uh, yeah, I don't see the logic. I, I would need this explained to me. Maybe I have to listen to the Silver Press or maybe I have to read more about it. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, mm. It doesn't doesn't excite me. Uh, it would need to be, it would need to mean something. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe uh, the play-in tournament makes sense, right? It's yes. Playing to make the playoffs, you know, seeding like that's great and it works great. Like why why not just be satisfied with that? Every little mini tournament. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I would do like a G League tournament or something. If you want to incorporate the G League and give them a bigger pedestal during that time period, that would be something. Um, I don't know. I, I just it doesn't make sense to me. Like like you said. Um, last thing, and we'll wrap up here, Verts. Give me the team you think gets off to the hottest start out of the gates this season, and who gets off to the coldest start. I was actually looking at that opening night matchup between the Warriors and Lakers, and mm. I'm. A, I'm a, I'm really big on the continuity stuff. Like when, when John Schumann, NBA.com, like puts out his continuity rankings, I always find that stuff really interesting because I think the teams that come back with, with a lot of chemistry built up from prior years and most of the same roster and minutes, and, uh, I, I like to believe in those a lot. I, I have the Lakers getting off to a, a cold start. I think generally they are like one of the top teams in the league, but that's not really going to come together until maybe a month in. Every time LeBron gets a new superstar team, it's always like a 500 start and everyone freaks out. And I'm like, just wait, they'll, they'll figure it out. Happened with Wade, happened with the new, I, I think the, the the second version of Cleveland with Kyrie and Love. I, I think it just happens when, when stars need to sort of learn how to play together. And, you know, Westbrook is, uh, is, is, a, t- is a tough start to, to, fold into, uh, to fold into existing structure. So I can see them getting off to a bit of a cool start. Um, and I have the Warriors getting off to a hot start. You know, while everyone's, you know, except for Clay, relatively healthy, and I'm just a big Steph Curry guy, and I think he's been pretty, pretty hot for the past like year into this preseason too. Um, I, I can see them, you know, building off what they had last year and and, and getting off to a good start. Mm. I like this. Their schedule like- is also the, the, the schedule is after the Lakers and Clippers, it's like Kings. Thunder, Grizzlies, Thunder, Hornets, Pelicans, Rockets. It, it, it's not super tough. I like it. Um, I'm going to say the worst start, uh, the coldest start that just uh, results in some job firings is New Orleans. I think New Orleans is, is all father gets. Zion might not play until like January. Uh, and this roster sucks. Um, it's worse than it was a year ago. So 
Give me give me the Pels as the team with the coldest, roughest start. I think a hot start team as someone like just to kind of go out of out of the ordinary. I'm gonna say Minnesota starts off hot. I think with their group and the Finch up factor from last year, I could see a healthy towns, a motivated towns. Anthony Edwards, who I like a lot, um, Pat Bev, I think will immediately pay dividends for them. Um, I could see the Timberwolves starting off pretty well, and we're like, oh, Timberwolves are going to be a play-in team. Um, I could, I could see that being being the start here because they got. Do you, would you like to guess who they've got tomorrow? I don't. Uh, they got the Rockets yeah. tomorrow. They got the Pels on Saturday, and they get the Pels again on Monday. They could start off three and zero. Like I think you look at this. You get the then you have to go to Minnesota. You get the Nuggets at home, but then you get the Magic. Um, you get the Clippers twice. Um, you get the Grizz. Like there's opportunities for them to to start out um, and be over 500 heading into December. Um, I don't know. I think there there's a reason the, for me. Mm-hmm. I love the annual like first week. Some random team is three and zero, and everyone gets excited. Everyone writes the pieces like, "Oh man, is this is this OKC's okay year?" Uh, I don't know. They're <laughs> they're playing super. Well, it's gonna be Minnesota this year. Them. I buy it. I, I buy it. I mean, it's gonna be fun. I, I'm a, I'm a big Anthony Edwards guy, and they'll score at the very least. I think so. Verts, what can we check out from you at SMY or anywhere else this week? More Knicks and Nets content coming. I've uh, I've really exhausted uh, exhausted the ammunition on all the preseason sort of uh, hype articles and projections and predictions. And I've wrote about these two teams just a ton. So if you guys want to learn up on them entering the season, you can do that. And you know, once the season sort of starts, we'll uh, we'll see what else we can analyze. We'll see what we can dig into. I'm looking at Kemba Kemba Walker's defense early in the year for the Knicks and. Uh, as always, the Nets are, are going to be really good, but uh, they, have, they have their own situation to figure out as well. Mm, there you go. There you go. David Virchberger, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, man. Great time. All right. The... What day is it? Oh my goodness, it's late. I was about to say the the you know what day it is of this podcast. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't would, it matter. It would be Wednesday for you. It is yeah. Wednesday for me now. What a day! I started recording pods on Tuesday for this particular episode, but it's Wednesday now, and I am joined that voice you just heard by Felix Sicard, longtime friend of the pod. Felix, good evening, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I I appreciate you braving the the late hours. You know, you're you're basically time traveling at this point mm-hmm. with, with all the podcasts you're recording in one day. So yeah, I I respect the hustle. I mean, I'm I'm a I I, I definitely hustle. I like to do this, but it's also just fun. I, I like doing it, so it doesn't yeah. feel like work yeah. to me. It's not like I'm logging on to a job I don't like at like twelve fifteen. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm here. Um, no, this if this yeah no, it's not how it feels. So I'm excited to talk to you, man. It's been a long time, but. We have a reason to talk hockey again because hockey is back. Who, Felix? Okay, where do we start? Where do we start? You know what I think we start with? The TikTok helmet decals in Toronto. How excited are you about that? Did, is this what really fixes the Maple Leafs in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you look at their helmet decals last year, I mm-hmm. think it was a bank. I think it was like CIBC. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was like a Canadian bank. So I think that yeah, going going the Gen Z route might be what what's going to fix what's been ailing them the last few years, particularly in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the logical move. Uh, true or false? 
through four games, your team, the Montreal Canadiens, are the worst team in hockey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. Like, like I don't know what's truer than true, but that that would be it. Like, they are absolutely terrible. It's so hard to watch them play. Um, but you know what? It works out because I think this will finally get everyone fired and it'll get them a top pick. So it, it, it works for Team Chaos, but it is it is absolutely true that they're terrible. I mean, the point differential thus far is pretty bonkers. Like, they're minus 12. We're four games in. 15 goals given up and yeah. three goals scored? That's insane. Yeah. I mean, they can't score, um, which is a bit of a problem. <laughs> and they also are missing Carey Price, which is also a bit of a problem. Uh, they lost so many good players over the offseason, did not – well, they didn't replace them. I think that they think that they replaced them. They went out and got Christian Dvorak to be their second-line center. I, I don't really think that's what he is. But even if he were that, they're not really utilizing him. Like, they're not getting the most out of him. They, they should be playing him with Brendan Gallagher. So, yeah, they're just – it's – it's, it, it sucks because they were such a great story last, you know, last season going to the Stanley Cup final, all this positive momentum. And then, of course, the offseason hits, the controversial draft pick that they made, um, losing key players and now the start. It just feels like it's been literally all downhill since they made the Cup final. Mm. That's it's brutal. Um, <laughs> that I, I'm not going to lie to you. It's just brutal. It's just brutal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Through four games, should we be worried about the Lightning's defense? No. Okay. No, I I don't worry about the Lightning until you know and, until the end of the season. If they're if they're out of if they're out of the running for the playoffs or something to, to that effect, then sure you can go ahead and worry. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you if you look at like the numbers, they're not they're not awful defensively. You know, they're just kind of middle of the pack. And even if you look at their blue line last year in the playoffs, they were still bringing out guys like Jan Ruda in big minutes. Like, they've always kind of had a weird, funky defense. So, yeah, I'm not worried about them. They're going to be just fine. They have Corey Perry on the team now, which in theory should mean that they're a lock to make the Stanley Cup final, given <laughs> the last two teams he's been on have been to the final. Um, I actually, the, the kind of subplot of the season that I really want to see happen is for the Ducks to flip Getzlaff to the Lightning at the deadline to reunite Getzlaff and Perry in Tampa Bay, and then they go on to win a cup. That'd be, that'd be pretty fun. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Um, <laughs> more likely, the Atlantic division that you're quite familiar with, it's it's weird right now. The Lightning, the Bruins on the bottom end. Of the, the top three right now, the Sabres, the Wings and the Panthers. Who do you think is most likely to still be in the top, the top half of this division by the midway point? Who do you who do you expect of those three? Uh, you know, as much as uh, I would love to see the the great story of the Buffalo Sabers continue, they haven't exactly played anyone of note quite yet. Mm-hmm. They played as we just discussed, uh, my hapless Montreal Canadiens, mm-hmm. and then they played the Canucks. They played the Coyotes who are at this point like barely an NHL team. So I barely have an NHL arena. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're basically just a fraud of a Mm. franchise. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't really have any faith that that will continue. Would be cool if it did Detroit, you know, same story there. Uh, Panthers though, for sure. I mean, I had the Panthers to win the division. So I, 
for the sake of consistency, I have to pick them here. Okay. I don't, I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Um, mm-hmm. Is this a year? Or like a lot of people are wondering what Jack Hughes is going to do this year. What do you, what do you mm-hmm. guess Jack Hughes does? Do you think this is a breakout year for him in New Jersey? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think last year we, we saw a little bit of an uptick from even where he was prior to that. And I think he's just continued to build on his game every year. And obviously to start the season, the, the big overtime goal, tossing the stick into the fan, into the stands. I mean, the, the guy is just like entertainment gold for the NHL. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he got hurt tonight though, playing against Seattle, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, we'll see where that goes. He's listed as day to day right now, but I, I have a lot of faith that he's going to take that next step forward. You know, I remember at the draft, people were saying, you know, is it going to be Kako or Hughes? People weren't too sure about the track record for Hughes, how he just piled up a lot of points on a really great U.S. national development team. But he's the real deal. And the sooner he gets there, the sooner New Jersey is going to actually make the playoffs at some point. I'm curious what happens there. Um, I'm not sure. Not a lot of faith in New Jersey and uh, what they've been doing over the last few years. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, but then again, his okay. brother's also okay. in a bad bad situation over there in Vancouver. I don't know. They they keep spinning their wheels as well. Um, the Can- I mean, I was about to say the Canucks. So I was just thinking about the Canucks. The Kraken. Coming into the year, mm-hmm. preseason, based on everything they got for their inaugural season, what, what were your expectations? They lost three straight. But what do you what do you think the Kraken? What do you think their year one is going to end up looking like? Well, before the season, I <clears throat> I had them. In, I think I had them in the playoffs in the Pacific Division, but that may have been. Or actually, no, I had them fourth in the Pacific, um, and that feels. That I mean that's that's exactly where they are right now, um, and I think that that's going to continue. They look really bad right now. I think that their personnel is just okay enough to where they'll kind of be able to hang around there. I think that there's there's going to be some movement in the Pacific, but it's such a wacky division with the teams that are in there that anything could really happen. But I think that this is – I think they're a little better than this, but probably not by that much. Like they are – they decided to be a really mediocre, boring roster this year for whatever reason, and like I just think that's what they are. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, Gold Knights lose Max and Mark. We we love Max and Mark on this podcast. Big big Max and Mark fans. Who do you think is the bigger loss? And do you think the the Vegas Gold Knights are in trouble early on? Uh, yeah. I mean, they they definitely are. Like losing Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty is is brutal. Mark Stone is the bigger loss. His he's just a much more impactful player on both ends of the ice. Uh, Max Pacioretty is, is great as well. Don't get me wrong, but Mark Stone is—I mean—he's a perennial Selkie candidate for a reason. Um, I will say this though: I wonder if this is going to make the Golden Knights pull this finally pull the trigger on a Jack Eichel trade. Mm. I mean, they have been—they have been—they have been in those you know rumors all the way through, and you saw today in LA Freeman's 32 thoughts that the hang-up for them is they don't want to trade either of Peyton Krebs or Nick Haig, some of their top prospects. And it's like, hey, I have I have all the time in the world for both those guys as prospects, but neither of them are gonna end up being Jack Eichel. And I'm I'm sure that you know, I'm sure Jack Eichel will be fine after his surgery. And so 
and they have that impatient owner over there in Vegas. So I think that maybe this will push them closer to actually just getting it done and bringing Jack Eichel to Vegas. I would personally not love to see that just because it feels like every single time there's been a big player available via trade, Vegas is the one that gets him. It, it'd be kind of fun to see him go see him go somewhere else, but I could see them being the one that finally gets it done. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I want to get your perspective on this. So if you had to, if you had to give your, like if you had to guess which one ends up being the better deal long-term. So we've got an eight year deal and a seven year deal. We've got McAvoy with Boston, eight year, 76 million or the sins signing Brady. Okay, here we go. Here's my American. Um, here's how I can do this. I can do this. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Um, to a seven-year, $57.5 million deal. Nailed it. Smooth landing. I nailed that, Felix. Um, who do you, yeah. Which deal do yeah. you like more? And which one do you think looks better years from now? I'm just happy you didn't ask me about Nick Suzuki. That's... Mm. that's I'm, I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad I don't have to bash my own team even further. No, I will say. I mean, I like I like both players. I think Brady Kachuk is a fine player. I do have some concerns about just why his just strong five on five game never seems to hasn't really translated to actual you know elite offensive production yet. Um, whereas Charlie McAvoy, he's already an elite defenseman. He's already one of the best defensemen in the NHL they're going to get his very best years. And I don't really see, I don't think that there's just much left for him to improve on. If he just stays what he is now, that's going to be a great value for him and for the, for the Bruins as they kind of like reload for that next wave of their contending window. As for Brady Kachuk, I mean, he could definitely grow into it. It's definitely a bet. And I think that this is just what you have to do in the modern NHL though, is bet big on your younger players as they come out of their entry-level contracts and just hope that you end up being correct. But regardless, you are going to get their most productive years statistically, even if maybe they're not going to fulfill that promise all the way, you're still going to get the most value at that point. So I'm a little lower on Kinchuk, so I'm, I'm just going to have to go with McAvoy here. I like it. Your strongest early season hot take is what, Felix? <laughs> wow. That is a, that is an interesting question. Well, I, I follow the ducks so closely mm. that I feel like it's going to, it's going to have to be uh, ducks related. I mean, okay. My strongest take, this is super niche. I, I'm sorry to everyone who might not mm. even know what I'm talking about. I think Mason McTavish, the ducks, 18 year old rookie who made the team. I think he's going to last potentially, I think he's going to last the whole season in Anaheim. There you go. There's my hot take. Um, okay. I think that the Ducks might want to send him. They might want to send him back to the World Juniors, but he got hurt uh, in last night's game, or by the time you're listening, two nights ago against Calgary, and he missed part of the preseason with an ankle injury. And it just feels like they want to see more out of him because when he does play, he plays very well. And despite him being 18, I think he already has an NHL caliber. I mean, definitely has an NHL caliber frame. He plays an NHL style game, and I. I feel like they're just not going to be able to send them back. So maybe it's a bit, a bit of a niche deep cut, but it's, it's what I'm rolling with. Mm. I like it. I like it. All right, Felix. Well, what uh, can we check out from you across the internet this week? 
Yeah, so definitely check out the podcast that I do with my good buddy, Jake Ruelf. It's called Crash the Pond. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Crash the Pond. Uh, we do weekly breakdowns of everything that's going on with the Anaheim Ducks. So definitely check that out. And just uh, follow me on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. I've, I've got a lot of Ducks content coming out there. So just make sure to follow along as we see what the what these Ducks will do in what is publicly being stated as year one of the rebuild. Mm. Well, the good thing is they haven't been rebuilding for years anyway. That um, this is uh, Ducks right. fans have gotten right. nothing only, but fun stuff before it, this. Yeah, it, it it only counts. Yeah, it only counts as a rebuild now that they've said it is. So, That's a frustrating thing that a lot of franchises do now. They get away with, and like yeah. they're <laughs> yeah. like this happens in sports. I mean, this even happens in college now, where it's like, oh, we had to strip the college to its bare bones. Got to get all new faces in, recruit from the bottom, the ground up. It's like, well, then what were you doing for the last eight years? You can't just keep doing that and stripping it to the bones. And we're getting a year. Like it's just uh, words don't mean yeah. anything in sports, and they just say that, and you're like, no, you can't, no, 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 that still counts, it's the rebuild, that still counts, yeah. you can't do that. It was yeah. just a failed rebuild, you so you're doing still, a rebuild on top of a rebuild. You were still terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't want to be in this position. Someone promised we would not be in this position in 2021. Um, Alright, man, well, this is great. Thank you so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll be checking back in a lot more as this NHL season gets going. Felix, you stay safe out there. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, man. All right, we are back on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas and I'm joined by a local fellow Tennessean to talk about a crazy titans bills game in a really weird titan season thus far gentry estes is here gentry good afternoon sir how are you hey i'm good good to be with you thanks for being here man um so how do you explain last night uh like how do you explain what happened in that uh, titans bills game well it was a was a good game a good game for monday night um you know honestly it was a lot like a lot of titans games where it goes down to the wire and comes down to one or two plays uh, obviously a big win for them and um you know they stepped up and made plays at the end i think you could say they were they were fortunate uh in some ways but you know it's the nfl and, and any team that wins a game like that usually is so obviously a big win and you know a win that i think could uh could maybe change their season a little bit the, the titans really hadn't shown a lot in the first five weeks so this was uh this was one that i think they can build on a big win for them did you have them about at four and two at this point in the season? Is this about what you expected from them coming in? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I could say yeah. I don't think I ever really looked at it. Uh, I did think they would beat the Bills, though. Uh, that was one going into that game. It just seems like you know when you watch the Titans, they they seem to play their best in big moments like that. They have they kept kind of a history of that. Why do you think you that is? Got the, sense, got the sense going into that that they were gonna. You know, they kind of step up and play their best, and uh, you know, it's 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 in. They usually will play up or down to the competition, and that's kind of been the case already this year. Why do you think that is? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, we've asked. I, I don't know. I, I just the NFL if games go that way, but um, you know, the consistency has been an issue for them for for a number of years now, um, and it's getting where yeah, you go into a game like last night, you. I, at least I expected them to, to play their best. And, you know, you're, you're going against a team in Buffalo that 
coming off a big win over Kansas City. They were due maybe a not-so-great performance. They had been lights out in Arrowhead. And, um, you know, for the Titans, it was uh, it was kind of a game to, to draw draw a line in the sand a little bit. I, I think if, uh, you know, I think other people were looking at them at 3-2 and two and thinking they really weren't as good as that record would suggest. And, you know, they hadn't played that great, but they dealt with a lot of injuries. And, and I don't think we really knew what to expect when they went against one of the better teams in the AFC. And they kind of showed they could play with them. So, how did they contain Josh Allen last night? What did you see that stood out to you? I don't you? think they did contain Josh Allen last okay. night. Okay. For what? 300 some yards. And I mean, the Bills outgained the Titans. They had more than 400 yards of offense. They scored 31 points. I mean, really, the only time I think they contained the Bills was in the red zone. They mm-hmm. were able to stop, stop them and force field goals early in the game. And that was huge. That was because if the Bills had, had taken. You know, fourteen nothing Lee is an entirely different ball game. Uh, they they stopped him in the red zone early. You know, give the defense credit for that, and uh, they were able to get some pressure on on Allen. He didn't he didn't run all over the place, and he also didn't. He, he, the, the Titans had three sacks. The Bills mm-hmm. didn't have any, and that that to me was probably one of the more surprising elements of this game uh, because uh, the Titans. I would have expected would give up more sacks the way things have gone this season, but I also think the Titans' pass rush has improved uh, from last year to this year. And, and to get three sacks against a quarterback like that, uh, and it, it's some pretty big moments too. They were able to to pressure him, get a tip pass intercepted for a, that led to a touchdown late in the game with the Bills up 31-27 with the ball. They they got a sack on first down. Uh, put them in a long down a distance, which led to a punt. Uh, you know, these are things the defense was doing to affect the game that maybe they hadn't been doing in the past. But at the same time, I, you know, Josh Allen still had a pretty good game. He threw 300 yards. True, but uh, he was stuffed at the goal line. Uh, were you surprised by that stop and uh, Titans defense hold strong there? Uh, I. I I'll be honest, man. I was so busy trying to like write something on deadline at the end of the game that uh, you know, surprise. No, I wasn't surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they had they had stopped Jacksonville in a similar situation last week. The Titans mm-hmm. just kind of have that about them. Uh, you've seen it for a couple of seasons now that they'll 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 be that team that kind of makes that stop at the goal line. I, you know, maybe a little surprised the Bills didn't kick field goal. Yeah, uh, and and go to overtime, but. Uh, you know, you got Josh Allen, and he's been really successful with those sneaks. So I, I, I understand why Buffalo felt like they were going to get it. And, um, you know, I, I think he lost his footing. Allen lost his footing a little bit. But, but credit Jeffrey Simmons for getting back there and, and stopping him. Absolutely. Um, what did you make of that Julio catch? Pretty bonkers. And as a, an Atlanta Falcons fan and Atlanta native, um, I miss it. And seeing something like that happen last night and his, his smile, it uh, – it definitely made me smile. What did what did you make of that preposterous uh, coordination to pull that in? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a Leo. He, <laughs> I, I, I think it's more concerning for mm-hmm. the Titans that he didn't finish the game. Uh, there were some key moments in the field, and they didn't have him out there. It's the same thing that happened a few weeks ago when they played the Indianapolis Colts. That's a concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever the hamstring issue is with Julio, it's not. He's not over it, and uh, they. It was bad enough to where he wasn't on the field at the end of the game last night. So that that remains a pretty big concern for the Titans. 
Um, and then you have the A.J. Brown flu game. So you got to get those receivers on the same page. You got to get them healthy. Yeah, although A.J. had a good game. I, I mm-hmm. think with what, um, you know, the one guy we haven't mentioned is Derrick Henry. He was well, the, I was gonna, we're getting game. to Henry. Henry's the main event here. <laughs> yeah, his success running the ball, I think, really did open. The success that Henry was having running the ball mm-hmm. free, freed up the uh, – it freed up the middle of the field. You could see the Bills linebackers progressively cheating up, which which happens when they get Henry going like that. And it really opened up A.J. Brown in the middle of the field to have a, have a big night. He ended up with nine catches, and he uh, it was big for him. He hasn't had a lot of success so far this season. Um, you know, he talked in the previous game that he was falling short of his own expectations. And, uh, you know, he had a big game. Even getting over food poisoning, I think it was, that was a big deal for A.J. And I think um, – you know, Julio is helpful, and, and you're certainly better with him than without him, but I still think we're seeing that uh, the Titans' best receiver is A.J. Brown. Are we getting a no Chipotle mandate from Vrabel? Well, I tell you, it's not good for Chipotle. I, I, I think it was uh, Chipotle can consider itself fortunate that A.J. played and played well in that game <laughs> because uh, I don't know how well that particular chain was going to do in Nashville if all of a sudden he was sidelined against the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football because of a uh, chicken burrito. It's rough. Not the kind of PR you want. They say all good, all PR is good PR, but I don't know about that. Um, Derrick Henry, uh, this comes to us from PFF, 19 rushes of, of 10 plus yards this season, which leads the NFL. That's more than 22 teams have total. Do you think he keeps this up the rest of the way? Like, I mean, Henry is just different in all kinds of ways, um, but that number is just preposterous and he just he breaks through it doesn't make sense he runs like Forrest Gump shout out to Andrew Hawkins NFL vet who tweeted that out today like that side by side of the way Derrick Henry runs and Forrest Gump it's it's 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 I love it um do you think this is sustainable over a 17 game season do we do we see a drop off coming or is just Henry a different kind of player altogether and we just have to throw what we think we know about running backs out the window yeah, I get this question a lot, and I'll, I'll just – I wonder about that myself, and, and I'll just say this. I'd like to see him unable to do something before I'm going to say he's unable to do it. Mm. Uh, you don't expect that any football player would be able to be as fast as he is, as big as he is, as durable as he is, as dominant as he is, for as long as he's been dominant. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, any, you've never seen, I'm not sure we've ever seen this. Uh, from a football player. But every time you doubt what that guy can do, he just goes and does it. And uh, I have seen nothing from Derek over two years covering this team that suggests he's about to take a step back in any way. And, um, you know, it's, it, and you hear the doubt that, that no one could do what he's doing. Well, maybe this guy can. Hmm. The new coordinators – have they settled in? Are you are you good with where both of them have progressed? Do you think the coordinators are going to be just fine now going forward? Uh, hmm. You know, I, I think that you can't lump them together. I think it's two totally different situations. I, I, I think um, with with Todd Downing, I think he's had a, had a good run on the offense the last couple of games. Um, but I also think going into the season – that the expectations were a lot higher for Todd Downing than they were for Shane Bowen. I, I think if the defense just improved slightly, that was going to be better than what they were a year ago. Uh, so I think it was a lot easier for uh, for Shane Bowen to, to kind of please everybody because the expectations were a lot lower on his side of the ball, whereas I think you looked at the Titans' offense and saw all these weapons and said, my gosh, you know, they had one of the best offenses in the league last year and they may be even better. 
Uh, I don't think they've been better, but I think they've also dealt with a ton of injuries so far. I think the I, the fact that the New York Jets knew that A.J. Brown and Julio Jones were not going to be on the field against them, I think, won them that game. Uh, they put together a defense that spread 9, 10, 11 guys across the line of scrimmage, just absolutely daring the Titans to try to throw downfield on them to, to, against man coverage. Titans couldn't do it, couldn't get separation enough to do it, and the Jets knew that going into that game. Uh, I think so. The injuries, they, it sounds like an excuse, but they matter. And, and I think we're still to a point where we haven't seen that offense at full force of what it can do. Defense, they're a little better. Uh, you've got some injuries on that side of the ball, too, but I still think there's there's a ways to go defensively. I mean, they clearly, you know, we're all – a lot of people today are kind of sitting here saying how well the defense played, and, and they, they gave up 31 points, you know, had it – had the Bills scored at the end and won 38-34, I don't think people would have been talking about how good the defense is doing. That's the difference in just a few yards. Has the offensive line figured out? They're grading well across the board now. Obviously, the Taylor Luan stuff is uh, a very different thing altogether with the help there. But um, do you think the offensive line has gelled and really figured out the, the best five? Um. I, I, I don't think there was a question of the best. I, they've had the same people, and I don't think it's a matter of gelling it's, it's kind of the, the same group they just haven't been playing very well I, I mm-hmm. think that I think it's the I think they've had injuries on that that area of the team too all through the preseason he had a bunch of those guys up front this time and they were still kind of kind of getting back to full speed you know the ones was in and out of the lineup for a little bit and you know and it was hurt again last night and I thought Kendall Lamb came in and played pretty well uh, left tackle for him but the, the rest of the group it's the same group you know they're keeping the the same five guys. It's just you know they just weren't playing very well to start with. Um, I think we all kind of knew the upside there, um, but you still got an offensive line that has uh, had their quarterback get hit way too many times. Uh, they've allowed too much pressure, too much, too many sacks. Um, the trade off on that is you have one of the best running backs in the NFL, if not the best running back in the NFL, and he does a lot of damage behind that line. So I don't know if they've been terrible, but. Uh, they need to do a better job checking the quarterback, and they did last night. Uh, Tannehill was not sacked last night. That's a huge, huge step for that line. Absolutely. What can we look forward to this week with the Titans? What are you, what are you most curious about as the days go on ahead of, ahead of the next game? Um, well, I mean, they play the Chiefs this week, so that's another tough game. Um, Good history, you know, though. Say, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is um, – you know, these two weeks, I mean, you get the Bills and the Chiefs back-to-back, that's tough. And I think the, you know, the, the Chiefs are, are, much like the Bills, they're going to really test that defense. I think the Chiefs are built to test them maybe even more even more than the Bills did. And I think, you know, they're banged up in the secondary. Uh, Caleb Farley out for the year now with an injury. Kristen Fulton's on IR. Uh, they're running out of cornerbacks. And that's it's a bad week to be running out of cornerbacks when you're about to play the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Um, so I don't like that uh, in terms of the matchup. But, again, I think this is a, a marquee opponent uh, in a big-time game, and I think the Titans will show up. Uh, they have the team to, to kind of do that. And the Chiefs, the Chiefs, I think, also have been struggling a good bit defensively um, from where they've been the last couple of years, and I think it's a good opportunity for the for the Titans offense to, uh, to continue to get some momentum and, you know, maybe another week where we see some some gaudy Derrick Henry stats. I think he almost go into every game expecting that now. There you go. There you go. What can we check out from you at the Tennessee end this week? Um. Well, I 
I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't want to give it away. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten that answer. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever gotten well, here's that. The thing. I don't just cover the Titans, right? Yeah. I'm going to go to a, to a Preds game tonight. I'm going to mm-hmm. go to the National SC soccer game Wednesday. So I maybe I'll write. I don't know. Oh, I like it. I like it. Um, well, Gentry, thank you so much for the time. We can follow you on Twitter at Gentry underscore Estes. We can read your work at the Tennessean, so go subscribe there if you've not already done so. Thanks so much for making the time. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Take care. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.